Hello, my friends. Welcome to the All Worth It podcast. Every week on the show, we have a conversation about change. Sometimes it's change that's happened to us, and sometimes it's change we go looking for. But just remember, it will be all worth it. Hi, friends. This is Amber, and you are listening to the All Worth It podcast. On today's show, I get to interview my friend and also my boss, Chris Kainu. We're going to chat about a big change that he made in his late 40s with his job. And while his occupation didn't change, he didn't know that it wasn't going to change when he made the decision. I love his story, and I think you're going to enjoy it, too. There's a lot to learn from what he shares on today's show. I love when he shares an axiom, which is basically a principle to live by, that if you want to grow at an exponential rate, do something healthy that scares you to death. I know that has been so true for me that when I make a big step outside of my comfort zone in a healthy way, it brings a lot of growth. There's a lot that he has to share, and he's also going to talk about his cat, which I personally greatly enjoyed. I think you're going to enjoy today's episode. All right, let's get to the conversation with Chris. Welcome to a new episode of the All Worth It podcast, and today is going to be a fun conversation. I am actually going to interview my boss, which some people might be a little bit scared of, but we're just going to go for it and see how it goes here. (laughs) I actually decided to have Chris Kainu onto the podcast to chat a little bit about his story and a huge transition that he made in his late 40s. Um, So I'm excited to get a chance to chat with him outside of assisting him. This will be interesting for us both. Um, I have known Chris for five years. So we're coming up on five. It's crazy. Uh, The day that we're recording this is the two-year anniversary of me getting engaged. And Chris was actually helpful in uh, helping with my whole wedding, like performing the ceremony cheering us on. I think outside of my husband and his mother and my mother, he was the most excited about our <laughs> our union. He's clapping if you can't see. So Chris, thank you so much for giving us some of your time and thanks for being on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, I'm delighted to be here. And yes, I'm happy. This is the second anniversary of your engagement. Woohoo! Uh-huh. Love it. Your face when I told you that I was dating Curtis was one of my favorites where it was just like, for, is this for real? Are you kidding me? Because I, because you were like, I'm going to get real excited real fast. Don't mess with me on this. Yeah. And I haven't stopped being excited about it. He is an awesome man. You guys are a great pair. And I just, it's a bit, it's been awesome. It's been awesome to be part of the storyline get a front row seat. Just super proud of you both. Happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're really pleased with our Mm -hmm. life choices. (laughs) Awesome. So tell our listeners who might not know you a little bit about your life. Where do you live? Who do you live with? Who are some of your favorite people? Yeah. Um, so I live in Hawkinson, Washington, uh, with my wife, Diana married 26 years now, three grown kids. Um, Sadie is turning 26 coming up in a couple of weeks. Tessa is 24. Wesley is 21. And I have a beautiful daughter-in-law who's married to Wesley named Taylor. Nice. And what about uh, the feline that lives at your house? <laughs> yes, uh, Sudar. Um, his full name is Sultan Sudar Sana, which means handsome king in Bengali. And uh, he is, no one cares about my cat, but if you saw my cat, you would think 
okay, I want to know about this cat because he is a, an exotic and no, I am not independently wealthy. He literally wandered onto the property of my sister-in-law and we had a litter box. And so we got the cat and he is actually, uh, long story I won't give you, but he has a chip and my vet buddy said, well, the good news is yes, he has a, a chip. The weird news is no registered owner. So we posted him for 30 days. Now keep in mind, this is like a $3,000 cat. Uh, it's, they're bred from a domestic with a serval, which is a, a wildcat. And the, the coloration on them is stunning. Looks like sort of a, a, a butterscotch cheetah. And um, anyway, so Sudar, he's the man. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's our present kid in the home since we don't have any kids in the home. He's anymore. good looking. I've, I've seen him before. We, we chatted through video and he's a good looking, he's a good looking guy and he's, I think he knows it. He, he, yes, yes, very handsome. Uh, he's high maintenance. Uh, but what are you gonna do? You know, Mabel, my cat, she's here and she might make an appearance because her voice will be heard. Of course, of <laughs> course. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I, since I assist you, I know you don't have free time, but on the rare occasion that it does happen, what's your favorite thing to do for fun? Oh, man. Uh, of course, family. Love hanging with fam. Um, leisure would be watching sports on TV, especially football. Uh, I'm actually sitting just above a river right now that is awesome for fishing. And um, that would, yeah, the, that's fun for me. Travel, love to travel. My wife used to work for the airlines, so we get to jump on planes for free if you can get a seat and love to travel and get around. That's a blast too. The thing I really appreciate about your family is you will occasionally just sporadically take a trip. Like if you have time off, it's not like you've planned for months to go to said location. It's spur of the moment. Yes. Uh, not, un not unusual. Yeah. We had a trip uh, a few years back where the kids asked probably five years ago, six years ago, and uh, we just packed five carry-ons and, or excuse me, three carry-ons and we each had a backpack and we listed Rome as number one priority. I think number two was Iceland and number three was Brazil. And the amazing thing was we got to the airport and we made it all the way through to Rome. Uh, we actually forgot to book a room in Rome. Uh, so when we were in Philadelphia, <laughs> we, we booked one really fast. I would like to say it was an awesome room, but it wasn't, but we did have a blast. That's that's fantastic. I I I long to have that kind of experience someday post COVID. Hopefully. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so tell our listeners a little bit about your occupational history. Like, what have you done? What's your what's your job now? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, okay, first job: weeding and mowing yards. At thirteen, first official job was at a pet shop, Noah's Ark Pet Shop. And at age 15, and then I worked at a grocery store. Um, and then I actually ended up as an intern in youth ministry, which was a big change because I did not grow up going to church or believing in God. So that was a massive shift. Uh, and then pretty much for the last 30 years, I've been in some formal role of ministry leadership, um, and that's what I'm currently doing, lead pastor of Vancouver Church. Okay. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with church life, what is the job of a pastor? What do you do? Uh, it's one day a week on Sundays. <laughs> you just go out, 
you talk, it's an awesome gig. You kind of just um, talk about whatever comes to mind, right? There's just no off the top of my head, just ramble on and uh, everyone loves it. No, it's, uh, it is, yeah, it's interesting. I used to wonder, seriously, I drive by these buildings. And I'm like, what do these folks do like during the week? Uh, that's probably one of the biggest surprises that pastors actually do d- work during the week. And, um, you know, I think of it as a coach. Uh, I really, my intention all along had been to be a teacher and a coach when I had no really, um, no real aspirations towards spiritual matters that I, at least that I was aware of. And, uh, I just love helping people. So that's what I get to do. Uh, some ways you could call it a life coach. It's different than I suppose what you would technically call that field that's grown now. But to me, the, the game is life and, uh, I get a chance to do all sorts of things, the highs, the lows, everything in between, uh, the highs, of course, such as you mentioned earlier, is doing the weddings. Those are a blast, you know, um, when the, the kids graduate, the birth of the babies, the new job, the new house, just being part of the extended family and the village that um, many local churches are. And then there's the, the downsides. Um, there's the tragic accidents. Uh, I, I've been a part of just some uh, horrific uh, loss of life. Um, experiences uh, around me and trying to just come next to people, obviously to console them, as well as the spiritual dynamic and the practicalities because people don't know what to do. Um, and then a whole lot of stuff in between from failed relationships and marriages and uh, broken marriages and, and one starting and friendship and uh, pretty, pretty much anything you could name. There's a chance that a pastor has some association with that because we are involved in people's lives. Yeah. And what I get to see in in my role is transitioning with you, but in having been your assistant for these last few years, it's more so uh, you're kind of a broker of relationships as well. So you're connecting people with the people that they need because you can't be all things to all the people. So you are, you know, a broker of relationship with other people and, you know, also managing teams. And there's a lot of intentionality. I think it would surprise people that go into what happens on Sunday. It doesn't, people don't just show up and it magically comes together. It's a lot of work and you have to be thinking further out than just this coming Sunday. You have to be thinking a few Sundays ahead. A great point. Um, I do think of it very much as a trust broker, that if you establish trust with people over a long period of time, in pretty much all scenarios, I'm not the expert, but I know who the expert is, or I know who can be trusted. Um, I know somebody that's going to look out for you. And so really helping those things happen. And again, building the village strong so that we can all help raise each other. Um, That's uh, a big portion of what I do. Another piece that people probably don't really think about a lot uh, is the leadership development. Um, If I can help mobilize and equip people beyond myself, both staff members and non-staff members, then exceeds the boundaries of any one person. And so if I can empower a community that cares well for itself and for others outside of itself, then, you know, that's a huge goal that requires a lot of leadership development. Yeah, it's it's far more than a lot of people, I think, think of it being, but you definitely don't get bored. 
No, haven't been bored since I was about uh, maybe 18. Yeah. Mm -mm. As your assistant, I very rarely ever got bored. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. If, you, if you're looking for boring, pastor is not the, the line you want to get into. Um, so you were a part of a church plant. What was that like? Um, you know, it was great. It was really hard and really good. Anybody who started an organization, anyone who started a business, uh, any kind of endeavor, they know a lot about what it's like to start a church. You throw yourself totally into it. You got to be into a startup mode for, oh man, probably about five years, really. And you don't know if it's going to make it or it's not. And, but it was a, a fantastic experience, did a ton of things wrong, which is what you do. You just get in and you go and uh, learned a lot in that process. I think of it, if we can make it, I realize I just threw out church plant. And if people, that might mean nothing to them. Like, is there a plant that grows in the ground that's a church? Like, what does that look <laughs> like, like? Like a bonsai. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a very special kind of plant. Yeah, no, I, I got a few bonsai. I've got some <laughs> cacti. And I got a church. They all grow together. But thinking yeah. about, like, with, with launching the podcast and my coaching business, I don't have the money to hire other people to do jobs. So I've had to get really good at social media. Well, trying to get good at social media and bookkeeping and editing podcasts and scheduling podcasts. So it's a lot of things of when you are planting a church, which means starting it from the ground up. Usually there's a small group yeah. of people and you're, you're the one man for a lot of different jobs. I doubt you were probably leading singing though, when you were a part of that. Well, you know, believe it or not, there was one Sunday and it was only one, only one Sunday. It was, uh, we had an ice storm and I made it there and everyone else suffered through it. Um, yeah, many, many hats. You, you do whatever it takes. You, you don't have the luxury of assigning work to other people. So we would show up um, early in the morning, probably about 5 a.m. and start moving gear and loading and setting up in a high school cafeteria these uh, PCB pipe and drapes and constructing an entire children's area and setting up sound equipment and getting the band ready. So you end up learning how to uh, do a lot of hard work and a lot of technical things that you wouldn't otherwise for sure. Yeah, for, absolutely. So you started, you helped start the church. At what point did you become the lead of that church, the lead pastor? Um, sure. The team together, there was about, there was four of us as leaders and there were uh, maybe 40 people. And that, let me see here. I was about nine years into it when I became the lead pastor. So once you became the lead pastor, did you imagine that that would be where you retired from? I think basically, yes. And it wasn't like I had this envisioned my retirement party and plaques and things like that. It's just that I didn't really have a picture of doing something else because the work that we do, like anybody who's caring for other people, if you're in um, education, if you're trying to be part of a, a community group that cares well for the neighborhood or people that are very vulnerable, the, the work is endless. They're just literally, you don't cross a finish line on that. So I just always was thinking the next, the next, the next, never really thinking, uh, I should say the next within what we were doing um, is what I was thinking about. 
and really didn't have a picture of being somewhere else. So you were in a role that you were clearly doing a great job at. You were comfortable with it. Change wasn't necessarily on your radar. How did change start to creep into your mind? Like to think, okay, we might, something different might be up here. Yeah, I, great, great question. Like um, there becomes a, hmm, I, I, some might call it like kind of a sacred restlessness, um, a holy discontent, just this, this positive thing that's bugging you. And I'd seen enough people in their lifetime that would uh, have these experiences where they wanted things to be different and their immediate circumstances just began to bug them more and more and more. And what they didn't realize is that their calling was changing or the season was changing. Um, you know, there's a, a time to laugh and a time to cry. There's a, a, a time to heal and a time to kill. And the um, recognizing that season, I actually concluded years before I experienced it in, in observing other people that sometimes you think you're being uh, called out because things are bugging you. And you got to realize, no, things are bugging you because you're being called out and nothing's changed where you are, you know, a lot of times. I mean, obviously, sometimes there is, but um, this is a, a group of people and a team that we had grown together. I mean, I was there for a total of 22 years from age 27 to age 49. So age 49 is not where you normally just say, hey, I think I'll just unplug and uh, go try something else. Uh, but I had recognized that the team was a really good team, but we weren't moving forward together in the way we needed to. And so I just started to think, well, you know, maybe I'm the biggest log in the jam and uh, get me out of the way and let that river flow and then find out what new adventure uh, I'm called to. So when you made the decision to step out, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? It's time. It's going to be hard. I don't know what's coming next. That would be a lot of what I was thinking. <laughs> My husband regularly, when I'm in seasons of change, he's like, it's gonna, it's not going to be easy. And it's like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. But when you know this change is not going to be fun. Yeah. That's yeah. Rough. So, and it also was exciting, not in the sense of I had all these giddy emotions, but exciting in knowing that there's no chance I'm going to not grow. And it, um, the organization I was part of was very honoring to me. I worked hard to be honoring to everybody there. And that wasn't hard to do. Um, we have a lot of years shared together and a lot of love and a lot of common mission together. Um, that was another thing I learned. If you're making a change, uh, make it quick. Um, I mean, take your time in making your decision, but once you made the decision, make the move. Some people had said, Hey, you were, it was six weeks from the time you, um, informed them of your resignation. And the time that you were out after 22 years, man, you must have really had some struggles. There must have been really some conflicts or 
there was some real problems. And I said, no, just the opposite. These are all close friends of mine and long goodbyes. They usually don't turn into good stuff. So in order to protect those relationships and protect those friendships, I knew I just had to take the responsibility of leaving. And I have heard it said that um, once you say goodbye, don't forget to leave. <laughs> this is key. <laughs> don't overstay your welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with the, making the change and being 49, my question, trying to understand the male mind there's a little bit of pressure in society. It's on... not that hard, really. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I'm trying to take <laughs> off the female brain to think for any male listeners that I have, I want to represent them well. Nice. There, there seems to be a lot of pressure on men in society that you be, need to be stable and have consistent income and know the plan. Whether or not that's accurate or it should be, I, I don't agree, necessarily agree with, but I would imagine sure. there's some pressure that that does bring. Did you feel any of that or were you pretty, pretty confident in what you were doing? Yeah. Good question. Good question. You know, um, and, and I know you well enough, Amber, that you would, well, I believe you would agree with this is that any, any partnership where you got, you know, two people that are contributing, if one of them's going to pull out, from their really, frankly, from income, uh, and that alone, yes, there is a big weight of responsibility. Fortunately, uh, Diana and I, being in life together at the time for some twenty years, um, and she is incredibly competent at creating income as a, a developer and, and employing uh, house builders and realtor and et cetera, that, that helped a ton because she could increase the main part of her vocation. She didn't get paid for as much. She was the one that said, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll take the prime duties of raising these kids. I would have got fired from that job. Uh, not tough enough, not brave enough not strong enough, all those things. And, uh, but as the kids at that point were older, she could increase her income production. And really because we've tried to align and, and be good friends and good uh, partners in life um, that she was like, hey, I can tell, you know, you've got to make a change. So, so go for it. That said, yes, you are correct. It was uh, stressful. There is a stress element of what, like, how's this going to work? How are we actually going to do the bills here? Yeah, I. There have been some some men I have known in my in my lifetime that I think they have been hesitant from making that change because of that fear and that responsibility. And I don't always know if it was a conversation that they even had with their spouse. But I have heard that several times that, well, I have a stable job or this provides this provides insurance. And so when they kind of start to feel that there's a hesitancy to make a change because of fear of what if, what if, what if. I think that's a great point. I think it's a really good point. And if Diana's personality was different, um, that would have been, and it wouldn't be wrong if her personality was different, but if it was like her risk tolerance is pretty darn high. And so it was less of a threat. 
um, it was still very challenging. It was hard. If she wasn't that way, if she couldn't handle as well that kind of risk, then I probably would have, um, I don't know if I would have stayed because the nature of what I do is if you, it's a calling as much as it is a vocation. So I might've paced it a little different perhaps, uh, but then until I got something lined up, because when I stepped out, I had no job lined up. I had no real, uh, I had no, clarity that I absolutely was to continue in the same field. I suspected that was the case, but that wasn't a guarantee. And really the plan was to uh, go dark for at least a couple months before even thinking about what was the next thing that I was going to do. And so that creates some tensions. <laughs> it's a really cool space, but it's, it's not a super relaxing space. I can't imagine that it was. What did making that type of change impact in your everyday? So the everyday was impacted in that you have to self-structure. Um, you don't, ha there's not an expectation to be at an office, to show up at a meeting, to have some project done, which again, that sounds like a dream come true. Like most people are like, oh my goodness. Uh, and while there is an upside to it, I've met very few people other than somebody that retired. And even then, a lot of times people are like, yeah, I don't really like that. Um, I think I slept for about a week um, because part of the reason I had to make the change was I had not attended to rest uh, and rhythms of rest uh, well enough. I, I wasn't atrocious in that category, but I, I at times would work too hard. And the cumulative effect over a couple of decades was I just needed to take a nap. And that was great. And then it was get up and be like, okay, well, what's my life going to be now? And uh, that was that was a new experience. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm very sure. What, that teach, what did making that change teach you? Um. I'll mention this as far as also is what changed, you know, you asked what changed my daily experience. Once I got a little more oriented towards creating my own schedule, uh, I went ahead and did some additional classes at master and a master's level, which was great to create some structure. And I'm, I'm a, a student by nature. And so that was very, you know, stimulating. I worked next to my wife <laughs> and basically I was the hourly help and, uh, she would be like, hey, we got to go uh, tear down the fence. Okay, we got to go clear off some property. All right, I need that barn, you know, uh, cleaned out and repaired and painted, you know, and I'd be like, okay, here we go. And I would take my son with and who's a teenager at the time. And, and there was a lot of that that I loved. I mean, there was a lot of it just the out. I mean, literally, I wasn't, I, it was such a radical change for my brain and my uh, soul in terms of responsibility that my soul was just like resting and, 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 and cherishing that lack of responsibility comparatively. And um, another thing that was weird about it was sending emails. This is probably the weirdest part of the whole thing was 
when I would send an email, it would just be signed Chris Kainu. That was it. There was no title. No, you know, back in the day, it was youth pastor or associate pastor or lead pastor or, you know, uh, uh, community group leader, whatever it would be. There's just nothing. And when you've spent a lot of your life with these various titles mm. that um, people on the whole that, you know, they tend to respect or at least honor, and then you got nothing. That was weird. That would be weird. Very weird. <laughs> I had, I would never have thought of that, but I can see that point. Because it was part of that was the, you know, the identity, like, where did your identity come from? And while I've spent a lifetime of, of, you know, coaching people, hey, your identity cannot be in what you do. We've all heard the phrase that we're, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. And there's, you know, that's true. And um, while I had attempted, and I think did a decent job of trying to condition my soul that it wasn't dependent on what I would do day in and day out, my job, my title, the absence thereof was a kind of fasting that my soul was arguing with. And it was great for me to, to, in a sense, be brought to that place where I didn't have a uniform to wear. I didn't have a, a title to stand behind and to have that exposure and, and really refine like, okay, uh, who am I um, outside of a particular title or a role? That was a great experience. Not easy, but great. I think if I, as I'm thinking about your experience, if I were boiling it down for someone to take who didn't have a role in, in church ministry, I think some, some tips that you give us are to step outside and do some activities that are outside of what you normally do. Um, there's an author that I follow, and she recently um, was quoting, I think, another pastor, but basically said, when you take a break, do the opposite of what you do with your everyday life. So if you're taking a day off a week and you think with your mind all week, do something with your body. Or if you are a roofer or you're doing something with your body all week, do something with your mind. And so I think that that's just solid advice that your story teaches us of if you think take some time to do something different with your with your body with your rhythms and maybe catch up on your rest too <laughs> that can't yeah, be. I think I, and there's a lot of wisdom in that and balancing out your life or, or expanding your life uh, another axiom and you've heard me say this many times that if you want to grow at an exponential rate then do healthy things that scare you to death and a healthy thing for me was to resign without knowing where my next step was and so you, it's like jumping off a cliff. Mm-hmm. It, you, have, you have that rush of adrenaline. You have that thrill, which is really cool to say, hey, I jumped off the cliff. But it's very scary to jump off a cliff. And so as people are, you know, thinking about their own lives, now maybe it's not step away from your entire career. You know, perhaps it is. But if it is, um, you, you joked about me singing at church. I actually sang once at church and I didn't want to do it, but I wanted to do it to scare myself to death. And, um, or some people that are saying, you know what, I've just, I've just given up on dating. It's like, okay, well, if you do it in a healthy way and it scares you to death, good things can happen there. If you were to go participate in a sport that you'd never been a part of, I mean, getting into those experiences, getting into a culture that you're not normally in, like get out of your comfort zone, get somewhere that's relatively safe, you know, depending on your risk tolerance, 
But the more often you can do that, you'll expand your soul massively and in a much faster rate. Mm, that's really good. I and I could probably talk to you for a couple more hours about this, but we both know you don't have the time for that, <laughs> and I shouldn't. Um, but I have just a couple more questions I want to ask you. Um, from your observations, why do you think people are resistant to change? Like, why do you, why do you think they fight it so much? Uh, it hurts. <laughs> it's scary. Uh, it's not in control a lot of times. Now there are change junkies, you know, and they just love it. But um, you need you be, need both growth and rest. And rest comes from remaining static, and growth comes from moving, from changing. And when you have a good workout, you get sore. So it is, um, you know, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to discover what I don't have. I'm afraid to look stupid. Uh, I'm afraid to go without this comfort and I'm not sure it's going to be worth it. There's a thousand barriers to change. Yeah. I think you have to be aware of, of what you need in your life. I know for me, we've had the conversation. I had a bunch of change year after year for several years in a row. And I'm at the point now where it's like, we need to stay static for a little bit. (laughs) No more. I I got my fill of change for a while. It hasn't, my life hasn't gotten the memo yet, but I'm trying. Right. (laughs) But I think for people that have made, like who haven't made a change for a long period of time, I think this is a great reminder of try some. Try something different. Mix it up. You know, and, and I think it's interesting because there are folks who um, their calling literally is to just stay with what they're doing. And it pays off over the long haul. Um, but and then that's where I think that's where I think this idea of go do some things that are different than what you normally do is such an important practice. But I think that when people look back, again, these are, these are thoughts many have heard, is that when you look back on your life, what are you going to regret? And is it that, wow, I took too many chances. You know, I, I, I went for it in too many areas to expand my soul or my capacities, or my knowledge, or my relationships or love and those things. And I just shouldn't have done that as much. Most people are not going to land there. Most are going to think, my goodness. You know, I mean, I was 49 years old. That's not when you normally make a change. But I was just talking the other day with a, a, a man who is 82. And I'm realizing, whoa, okay, I've got nearly 30 years to go before I get there. And when you look at it that way, you realize, okay, now it's probably actually is the time, you know, to make some changes and to go for it. That's that's really cool. My My question, my final question to you will be, can you give our listeners the reason why making a transition in your job was all worth it? Mm, mm-hmm. The magic question. <laughs> well, literally, I ended up with an all worth. <laughs> you did. <laughs> By association. You did. So it literally was all worth it. Um, couldn't resist. Sorry. Well done. I'm proud the, of you. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, the I wouldn't be who I am. I I was in a very loving community, uh, a really familiar role, um, 
had a decent set of skills at what I was doing and could have stayed there and had a lot of joy, a lot of happiness and felt like uh, opportunity to impact people's lives. But what would not have happened was the massive shift of internal life when I moved away from a spot where I was really well known, was relatively safe into a spot that was brand new and I didn't have the luxury of writing off my history. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't there when their kid was born or their grandkid was born. I wasn't there when they were in the hospital. I wasn't there when they had this, you know, huge uh, life breakthrough, freedom from addiction or, or uh, a, a second marriage that really flourished and worked out, you know, these kinds of things. I didn't have any of that stuff. And so it was simply what I could bring from that point moving forward and being an organization in an organization that was now going to go through such a big change with me at the lead, believe it or not, there were some people that didn't really like what I was doing and I did not have the history with them to offset these decisions that I was making that they saw as detrimental to the community. And I don't blame them, you know, but a leader has to lead and get in and go and I could write you a whole chapter and you could write a few chapters on that experience as well, but it has been awesome to come through the other side and be able to, um, I, I suppose one axiom would be that I, what's made it all worth it is to have learned to love people more and fear people less. And that has created just a huge amount of freedom in my life. That's so cool. I, I, with, thinking about your story, what I love about it is I'm, I'm a proponent. I have a strong faith in God and I believe that he gets us where we need to go eventually one way right. or another. But when I look <laughs> at your story of the choices that you made and I can tell you so many different people that it impacted their lives in big ways, like our moves do make a difference in the people around us and what it opens people up to find and the gift that we can give to other people when we're obedient. And so I can I can be a person who says, I, I was gifted by your obedience. I benefited off of you making that change. And I, I know lots of other people who would say the same thing, but I, I think that that's really cool to think moving forward, the people that your moves imp impact that you wouldn't really think about. Well, Chris, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, despite that you only have to work one day a week on Sunday, I know your schedule is, is so busy. Seriously, people, he works like 60, 70 hours a week on a slow week. So <laughs> thank you so much for the gift of your time for our listeners. Um, and just it was a really encouraging story to, to hear. And thanks for what you shared. Amber, thanks for having me. so much for listening. I hope that you learned as much from this episode as I did. I was busy taking notes as I edited it for you. Make sure that you join us next week. We're going to have a really important conversation about what to do when the seasons and the holidays don't look quite like what we imagined. Have a great week and we'll see you next week on the All Worth It podcast.